Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball. 52 weeks out of the year, there is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 22nd day of September 2017 from the Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, uh, I got to tell you something that this says. uh, It's tangentially to do with baseball. I walk my kids to school, as I have a tendency to do every morning, uh, at least when I'm down in, in Pasadena, and we walk right past the Rose Bowl, It's because it's historic, and I you know, walk my kids to school, and I walk back. It's a nice way to start your morning when you have a chance to do it. And I wore my sweatshirt, and my kids wore their sweatshirts, because it was a little cool. And I love... I love cool weather. I'm not saying I want to live like Kurt Russell in The Thing, where you're just in Antarctic temperatures. But it got to be like 110, 115 degrees here in the San Gabriel Valley of Los Angeles County. And Pasadena gets really, really bloody hot in late August, early September. So the fact that it was pleasant enough that you could wear a sweatshirt, you're not sweating like a hog... Uh, It's a lovely feeling. And that also tells me that we're in fall. By all accounts, summer is over. By all metrics, summer is over. We're past Labor Day. We're past the uh, autumnal equinox. We are in autumn. Now, you know my thoughts. The baseball season should end with Labor Day. We would be in the middle of the playoffs right now. And, you know, not fighting tooth and nail with uh, the NFL during the final month of the season. But that being said, we are in basically the last 10 days of the season. Or the last 10 games of the season. Most teams have about 10 or 11 games left. And so when you take a look at a team, you know, like, if you have a lead of more than four... If you have to make up more than four games... I'm not saying it's impossible, but man, it's tough. I mean, right now the Red Sox have a three-game lead against the Yankees. The Yankees have been playing extraordinarily well. The Yankees are firing on all cylinders. The Yankees are being are terrific. And they played the Red Sox well, obviously, earlier in the month, and they had a critical series with the Twins, that if they got swept, they would have been tied with the Twins and brought back into the scrum. And give the Yankees, I don't like giving the Yankees credit, but give the Yankees credit. They went head-to-head against the Twins. They swept them. And right now, they are in a very comfortable position to be in the postseason, which is an accomplishment. And to be a legit playoff team. And you've got to give them credit, but there's, there's, they're playing extraordinarily well. The Red Sox just swept Baltimore. The Red Sox are playing very well. And there's three games separate the Red Sox and the Yankees with 10 games to play, making the magic number eight for the Red Sox. And with that in mind, there are no head-to-head games. Let's say the Red Sox go... I don't know, uh, four and six. They play sub-500 ball. The Yankees would have to go uh, seven and three to tie them. In other words, if the Red Sox just play 500 ball, the Yankees would have to play out of their mind to catch them. 
It's just there's not enough time to do that. And so the playoff picture is becoming quite clear in the American League. And actually with the fact that the Angels got swept by the Indians. I mean, bless the I mean, the Indians lost that one one-run game, a game where they actually at one point had a lead against Kansas City. That ended the winning streak. And so all the pressure is off of Cleveland. Have you noticed that? People aren't you know falling over themselves to watch the Indians game because oh, the winning streak's over. Well, they're on another winning streak right now. You know, they've, they have lost one game in the month of September. And now they can win games without the pressure of, oh, my God, will this winning streak continue? Will this winning streak continue? They can't lose them. They're going to play Seattle later this afternoon. They, they can't lose on the road. And they're just getting, they're winning games. They're causing issues in the pennant chase. They swept the Angels. If, they, if the Angels won that series, they would be right in the midst of it right now. And if they even took one game... They would be in striking distance of a playoff spot right now. But the Indians are taking care of business. Uh, the Red Sox are taking care of business. The playoff picture is getting a little bit clearer. Now, I'll tell you a team that's doing a wonderful job as a spoiler and is actually doing everything in their power to make the National League interesting in these last few weeks has been San Diego. Have you noticed what San Diego has done? I, I mean, You probably haven't. Unless you're a rabid San Diego fan, if you took a casual glance, it's like, ah, they've lost six of their last ten games, so they're not doing that well. But they won a few games against Arizona, which were critical because the Dodgers have been stubbing their toe left and right. There could have been, if San Diego had lost some of those games and the Dodgers would have seen their lead chip down to around five games with a week to go. By the way the Dodgers are losing, the way that how tight they've been playing, and as badly as their bullpen looks, their bullpen looks terrible. Going into the going into the postseason, the Dodgers are going to be probably a hundred win team with a horrible bullpen, which is a terrible recipe for postseason success. Just ask the Detroit Tigers of the 2010s who have had dominant teams, had that one Achilles heel being the bullpen, and that came back to bite them every time. Just as Bobby Cox, who kept going to the postseason year in and year out and having the bullpen lose critical games. This is a recipe for disaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And by the way, have you noticed the Indians are only one game back of the Dodgers for the best record in baseball? Remember I'm talking, is this going to be the best team of all time they're not even the best team of this year. Is there any argument that you would pick Los Angeles over Cleveland right now? I would pick Kluber over Kershaw. I'd pick the Indians lineup over the Dodgers lineup. I'd, I would pick the Indians bullpen exhausted over a rested Dodger bullpen right now. I mean, the Dodgers are really in a situation where I mean, think about this. Their magic number is down to one. Oh, but let me, before I get into Dodgers, one other positive thing about San Diego is they, they won the game the other day, which has allowed the National League wildcard chase to become very interesting going into the final week because the Brewers, who have lost two heartbreaking games, uh, won a walk-off to the Pirates and won an extra innings yesterday, and yet they remain one game out of the playoffs. They're one game behind Colorado. 
and St. Louis is only one game back in the loss column. We could have that three-way tie that I wanted. I was expecting it to be the AL wild card, which is looking more and more like it's going to be Minnesota versus New York. But all of a sudden, because of slump in Colorado, it could be in the NL wild card. You could have the Cardinals, you could have the Brewers, and you could have the Rockies. They could end in a three-way tie. Right now, only one game separates them in the loss column. So, you know, Milwaukee is actually within striking distance of if they win the games on this weekend against the Cubs, they could make a run at the division as well. But they could be a wildcard team by the end of this weekend with a week to go. That's fun. And San Diego beating Colorado and beating Arizona in those games have made this season, this last week or so, more interesting. I like it when a team shows a little pride. You see a bunch of teams just getting their butts handed to them recently. The Mets have had their butts handed to them recently. The Tigers have had their butts handed. They just like, they're waving the white flags. They just beat the tar out of us. San Diego? Nope, they're showing some pride. And for that, I salute you Padres for making the end of this season a little more interesting. Now, let's talk about something irrational, shall we? The Dodgers were at one point on such an unbelievable uptick. You know, they were they had a 20 game lead a month ago. Now it's 10. They've lost 10 games in the standings and they're going to win the division. Their magic number is 1. They have to win one game. Or the Diamondbacks have to lose one game. So they're going to be the division champions. They're not going to lose the rest of the way and the Diamondbacks are not going to win out. That's just not going to happen. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident about that. But let me just bring one thing up. On the, ninth, the 18th day of August, uh, the Dodgers won a game against the Tigers. Surprise, that's not really the hardest thing in the world to do. And at that point, the Dodgers were 86 and 34. They had a they were on playing at a 717 clip. 717 ball. They had the best run differential in baseball. They had a 19 game lead over the Diamondbacks who were a playoff team at that point and they still are. Uh they were one game behind the Rockies at that point. And then, since that game, the Dodgers have lost 22 out of 33 games. Since that game, they have the second worst record in baseball, second only to Detroit, who isn't trying, who have only won nine games in that stretch. Since Why did I pick that specific day? From that moment on, they're 11 and 22 the worst record in the National League. I'm picking that day, and this is completely irrational, but I brought this up with comedian Trish Shure. Trish Shure. Trish Shure? Is it Trish? It's Trish Shure. I said it right the first time, and I stumbled over it. Trish, I, I humbly apologize. I got tongue-tied. I'm not even going to edit that out. Uh, she is a TV personality, very funny comedian. She's kind of the permanent co-host of Aaron Foley's great show, uh, Sports Without Balls, which I've been a guest on. Trish has been on my show. She is a rabid, as big a Los Angeles Dodger fan that exists on the planet Earth. 
And her husband's a Cleveland fan, so it's going to make the World Series very interesting if it's Cleveland versus L.A. But the way L.A. is playing, uh, I think they got to take care of business first. What I brought up to her is Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez is the cooler. That's what he is. I've talked about this before, but just, just go through some of the highlights of Adrian Gonzalez's career. Adrian Gonzalez was part of the uh, San Diego Padres team that lost to a far inferior St. Louis Cardinals team in the 2006 postseason. He was the starting first baseman of the Padres team that absolutely had a monumental collapse down the stretch in 2007 and lost those games which they could have clinched a playoff spot and then lost the extra inning game to the Colorado Rockies. Adrian Gonzalez was part of the San Diego Padres team that was in first place late in 2010 and suddenly went on a cataclysmic double-digit losing streak in the middle of September that kicked him out of the playoffs and ultimately they got eliminated on the last day of the season. Adrian Gonzalez was the first baseman of the Red Sox when they went on the epic fried chicken beer and video game collapse, one of the biggest collapses in the history of baseball. Adrian Gonzalez was there. Adrian Gonzalez was the first baseman of the worst team the Red Sox have had since basically Red Sox Nation began in 1967 and was just... The, basically the, the poster child for the indifference that the fans had for that team was traded to the Dodgers, was part of the Dodger team that lost the 2013 playoffs to the Cardinals. Adrian Gonzalez was part of the team that had two Clayton Kershaw meltdowns in the playoffs against the St. Louis Cardinals in 2014. He was part of the Dodger team starting first base of the Dodger team that lost to the Mets, lost a game five at home to the Mets, was part of the Dodger team that had another Kershaw meltdown in Wrigley Field on game six. And the day he returned from the disabled list, they had, they had Bellinger playing first base, rookie of the year. They're playing 7-17 ball. Adrian Gonzalez comes back. They go 11-22. and now, is this correlation and causation? Or is Adrian Gonzalez a bad luck charm? Is he the cooler? Do you put Adrian Gonzalez, admittedly a wonderfully talented hitter who's had a fine career, an all-star career, even his years in Boston, he was a productive hitter. You can look at the stats. You look at the stats he put up. As a member of the San Diego Padres, I, always, I wanted him to stay with the Padres. He was traded to the Red Sox. He didn't never quite fit in with the Red Sox. He never seemed happier than getting the hell out of there. And what happened to the Red Sox when they got rid of him? They won the World Series the next year. Is this correlation versus causation? Of course it is. But I'm just stating facts at this point. I'm almost at the point. I don't believe in curses. I don't. I don't believe someone's bad luck. I really don't. But when I see that the minute he arrives, a team which is on a historic pace, 
a pace to go on and obliterate National League win records and maybe go on to you know steamroll people wondering where their place is in history. And now you're, it is safe to ask the question, are they going to get out of the division series? That's true. Show me that I'm wrong. Let's just say here's a not exactly crazy scenario. The Diamondbacks play either Colorado, St. Louis, or Milwaukee for the wild card. Let's say Arizona wins. Arizona versus L.A. Who do you got? The best you can say is it's a coin flip. The best you can say is, man, may the best team win. Not sure who's going to win that matchup. And if you're honest, not based on 162 games, but just based upon where they are, who they are, and what they are right now, you would be out of your tree to not pick the Diamondbacks, who, by the way, have won 21 of their last 31 games. You would be absolutely cuckoo for cocoa cups, ban- cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Sorry, bananas. If you don't look at a rotation that includes Patrick Corbin, that includes Robbie Ray, that includes Zach Greinke, hell, includes Zach Godley, who's pitched really well, and say, yeah, I, I kind of sort of give the edge to Arizona there. You know, I mean, Fernando Rodney has been up and down this year. There's no getting around the fact that he's been up and down this year. I go the rest of their bullpen over the Dodgers' bullpen in a heartbeat. And they're going to throw either Zach Godley or Taiwan Walker in the bullpen as well in a heartbeat. And I have more faith in, I mean, the Dodgers lineup is fine. But the D-backs are going to throw A.J. Pollock at you. They're going to throw David Peralta at you. They're going to throw Jake Lamb at you. They're going to throw Brandon Drury at you. And, oh, yeah, they're going to throw Paul Goldschmidt. Head-to-head now, not over 162 games. L.A., Arizona, who you got? I don't know. Let me flip. And it's tails. Could the Dodgers win? Of course they can't. Will there be any pressure on Arizona? Any. I had Jesse Friedman on the podcast earlier this year, and he, a uh, uh, great Arizona Diamondbacks fan, blogger, podcaster, all that. I'll put a link up to his podcast that he does about the D-backs. And I asked him what he thought a successful season would be for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he said he wants them to get into the playoffs, and he wants them to be in, to get past the wild card, to get into the division series. And when you think about the, what the expectations were for the Diamondbacks coming into this year, was probably, yeah, let's maybe see if they'll have a winning year. I thought they were going to be around a 500 team. I didn't think they were a bad team. I thought they were stuck in a neutral zone where they weren't bad enough to rebuild, but they weren't good enough to, you know, to play with the big boys. Well, the fact of the matter, two of the big boys, two of the playoff teams from last year, the Mets and the Giants imploded, and the Cardinals have underachieved. And that led an opening for the Diamondbacks to come in and say, hey, if the Diamondbacks make the playoffs this year, you have to consider that to be a success. That's a successful year. 
If they make it to the division series, that's a successful year for Arizona. So once they get into that point, there's no pressure on them. Of course you want them, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, you want them to win the World Series again. But you can't look at this team and say, hey, they got to the division series, they lost, and what a disappointment based upon what expectations were and based upon what the Diamondbacks can build upon for next year. Meanwhile, the Dodgers, who have won the last, what, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, they've won, assuming they're going to win one game the rest of the way, they'll have five straight division titles and no pennant to go for it. They don't care about division titles here in L.A. They're sick of that. They've had half a decade of that without a pennant to go with it. If the Dodgers play anywhere short of the World Series, this season is a cataclysmic failure. So who's the pressure on? Hell, if it's the, the, the Brewers, Cardinals, or Rockies in the wild card. No pressure on the Brewers. Holy cats. There's a, they're welcome to happen to, happy to be here, Ville. Sure, there'll be a little more pressure on the Cardinals because they're expected to do well, and Matheny's on the hot seat, or at least he should be. And the Rockies should be looking around and saying, I can't believe we're in the playoffs. I can't believe this. So, yeah. And on another team, you have the cooler, Adrian Gonzalez. And I'm not blaming him. I'm just pointing out the second that he showed up, the second he showed up, Things started getting bad. Things started getting really, really bad. Hey, I want to address. I, I, I'm not doing the Sunday requests like I used to. Um, I am going to do a, a rebranding of the podcast pretty soon where it's more interactive. I was going to do that early this year, but, you know, life got in the way. Here's the reason I don't do the, the daily podcast. It's just life got in the way. And so. Uh, but when I do rebrand the podcast, there there is going to be uh, a call in and leave a message element of it. There may be a live call in element of it for some shows, uh, but I, I'm working it out right now because I would like to do that. And certainly, uh, by the time we get into the new year, there'll be a new feel to the Sully Baseball podcast. But I do still read your tweets. I still do read what you send to me, and I gotta bring up this because. This got into a, 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 a spirited exchange that I had with really one of the best followers that I have. So let me go to Twitter, which is not the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. That would be uh, baseballreference.com. But the question that I've been bringing up was about um, Chris Sale and basically the idea that uh, I felt that for a while... I felt that uh, uh, Sale was going to run away with the Cy Young Award. But in the last half of this year, I believe it's been Kluber. Well, when Sale passed 300 strikeouts, it's brought the debate back. And it's, it's, it'll be an interesting matchup. I, I believe, I thought Kluber should have won the Cy Young Award last year. went to Porcello. I don't believe Porcello should have won the Cy Young Award last year. This year, it's going to be Kluber or Sale. If I had a vote, and I don't, uh, I would vote for Kluber. But, and it was looking pretty clear-cut that it was Kluber, especially, say that, five, a clear-cut Kluber. Uh, it, when Sale was slumping, 
and Kluber was just every time he handed the ball to him, and here's eight shutout innings, and here's seven shutout innings. But then the last start that Sale had, he was his old dominant self, struck out 13 batters in eight shutout innings and got to 300 strikeouts. So Ken Gura, who's at Ken Gura 463 in CLE, Cleveland, who has been a loyal listener, follower, and reader of mine. And Ken, you know I love you. You know that you're, you're, you know, we're, we're Twitter buddies and everything like that. Um, he wrote to me, so as it stands today, who is A.L. Cy Young, Kluber, Sale, in your opinion? I said Kluber because still, he still has my vote. You could sway me either way. Uh, and he wrote back the thing that kind of sparked me. He said, agreed, but I think the boss, the, I'm going to read exactly what it says. Agreed, but I think the biased media will vote otherwise. Comes down to Cleveland or Boston. Okay. And I responded, uh, don't be the biased media guy. Facts don't support media bias in baseball awards. He says, I'm pointing to the biased media. I responded, that's not applicable for off-season rewards. He responded, uh, think Porcello, anyone? Basically saying Porcello won the Cy Young Award because the media is biased towards the big market teams, especially Boston and New York. I believe that's what he's saying. I mean, he's brought up biased media and Boston, and that's what will tip the scales to a Boston player over a Cleveland player. And this is one of these things that people will say, people will say as if it's something we all acknowledge and it's something that we all know. Is there baseball media bias towards Boston and New York and Chicago Cubs? And the answer to that is yes, of course. There's a reason for that. I brought this up the other day. There are transplanted Boston fans everywhere. There are transplanted New York fans everywhere. There are transplanted Chicago fans everywhere. There's also transplanted St. Louis fans everywhere. So maybe to a lesser degree, there'll be an attention to St. Louis. But certainly, Boston, whose rabid baseball town, of which there are scattered native New Englanders across the country, including your pal Sully, Born in Connecticut, raised in Massachusetts, living in California, and I ain't leaving. I am not leaving the West Coast. If I leave California, I'll leave for Oregon or Washington, but I won't leave for the East Coast. Do you know why? I love the West Coast, and I'm a Red Sox fan. And there are tons of Yankee fans, tons of Met fans, tons of Cub fans, and to a lesser degree, uh, Cardinal fans that you'll find as well, too. But the main, the main bias towards... Media attention are towards those teams. You can just look at how the media covers when the Red Sox are in the World Series, when the Mets are in the World Series, when the Cubs are in the World Series, when the Yankees are in the World Series, and when it was Yankees-Phillies in 2009. A lot of transplanted Philadelphia fans. So to a lesser degree, Philadelphia gets a little bit of the bias as well, but not, certainly not nearly as strong as Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, and Cubs. Now, why do they do that? Why is there media bias towards that in terms of coverage and everything? Because of interest. Baseball is a local sport. The city of Kansas City, Missouri, 
was going bonkers, loving it, when the Royals won the World Series in 2015. It didn't resonate much when I was in the Bay Area during that World Series. It was like, oh, they're the, they're the Royals. There you go. The only thing that seemed to resonate with the fact that I knew a bunch of transplanted Met fans who were living there, who were into it, but not a lot of the attention was put on the Royals. When a World Series was played between the Rangers and the Cardinals, there was not a lot of juice behind that series, even though it was one of the best World Series of the decade. The World Series between the Royals and the Giants got virtually, I mean, I was in the Bay Area. The place was electric. And you know me, I'll watch any two teams play in the World Series. I'm an outlier. But World Series and playoffs are the property of the local interest. Baseball has local interest, save for very few teams that have national attention. And, and it's really only maybe three or four, possibly at the most five, but that's really stretching it. And the Cubs, Mets, Red Sox, and Yankees are teams that get national attention because of the people who are spread across the country and that there's a lot of media that is based in New York. A lot of, that, a lot of people gravitate towards Chicago or a lot of writers and people who are media types come out of New England. So yeah, there's that attention. Do you know why? Because the ratings go higher. They make more money. It's the same reason why you have people like in college football will always hype up Notre Dame. College basketball will always hype up Duke. NFL will always try to put attention on the Cowboys. Do you know why? Because there are Cowboy fans everywhere. There are Duke fans everywhere. There are Notre Dame fans everywhere. They're in the money-making business. There's not as much attention in the Sacramento Kings or the University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh or the Tampa Bay Rays. That may not seem fair, but the it's not about being fair. It's about how are we going to make money. And so, yes, they realize in terms of maybe covering on the national scale and everything like that, there is going to be, the, the, the networks want it to be the Red Sox versus the Cubs, the Yankees versus the Cubs. That's what they want. They'll have the highest ratings. They're not in baseball for charity reasons. They want to make money. So yes, there is a such thing as media bias. You'd be insane to think that wasn't a fact. And the fact that I happen to root for a team that has the media bias, not because of a bandwagon jumper. I've been a Red Sox fan ever since I could remember. One of my earliest memories of my life was being three years old and getting a Red Sox cap and being so excited to have it. So I'm not a bandwagon jumper. You know, I was there since the late 1970s. But that being said, I can understand that if you root for a team like Cleveland, like the White Sox, like the Royals, like the Orioles, like, you know, it's a team that has a solid tradition but doesn't get the same attention. I mean, hell, look at when the Red Sox won the World Series, it was like the greatest moment since the Berlin Wall fell down. When the Cubs won the World Series, it was the greatest moment since the moon landing. When the White Sox won the World Series, people were on the street asking, 
Cub fans, what do you think about the White Sox winning the World Series? The White Sox got virtually no attention. They didn't even make the cover of Sports Illustrated when they won the World Series. So I get it. And I get that it's annoying. But I do not think that it has any sway on off-season awards. I really don't. I really think that the voting in off-season awards is basically a reflection on the whole country. And the idea that the media bias in terms of coverage affects who wins the Cy Young Award, affects who wins the MVP, facts don't back that up. Yes, you can point to a point last year that Rick Porcello won the Cy Young Award over Justin Verlander and over Corey Kluber. And you say, aha! There's media bias. There's media bias for the Red Sox and Yankees against the Cleveland Indians. Okay. Let me take a sample size, shall we? Let's just take a sample size of modern media and voting. For my friend Ken and for anyone else who goes to the... If you're listening to this podcast and you go to the media bias well in terms of voting for MVPs, voting for Cy Young Awards and things like that, and you've heard this podcast, you know that you're going against data and you're going against facts. Listen to your pal Sully for a second. Let's take... uh, I'm not even going to take a small sample size. I'm going to say since the year 2000. I think that you go... Modern baseball, 2000 through 2016, that's 17 seasons, okay? That's a generation. So let's just say from the, from the times we flipped the calendar over to 2000 to now, what division in the American League, which has the two great media bias teams, the Red Sox and Yankees, which division do you think has had the most American League MVPs. And by the way, it's not even close. The other two divisions, add them together, equal this division's total. The American League West, since the year 2000, has had eight, eight most valuable players. The Central has had four. The East has had four. Now think about that for a second. You add the total of the East and the Central, you have the West. If you have East Coast bias, and this was the era when the Red Sox had Manny Ramirez, they had David Ortiz, the Yankees had Derek Jeter, the Yankees had the core four of Posada and Rivera and Bernie Williams. All the players I just mentioned combined for fewer MVPs than Justin Morneau. Okay? Fewer MVPs than Miguel Tejada. When Nomar Garcia Parra was winning batting titles and being a rallying cry, he lost out the MVPs to players like A-Rod when he was a Ranger. Manny Ramirez losing it out to Vlad Guerrero on the Angels. When you had Giambi 
and Ichiro Suzuki winning the MVP. These were the play, and, and Tejada winning in 2002. The AL West has dominated the American League Most Valuable Player Awards, and recently with Mike Trout. Jeter retiring from baseball was a, a seminal moment where people wondered, will the sky ever be blue again? Will we ever have a sunset? He never won the MVP. Big Poppy never won the MVP. The Twins had MVP winners. The Rangers had MVP winners. The Tigers had MVP winners with both Verlander and Miguel Tejada. And then when you, so the only, only there have been only two in that stretch of time, from 2000 to present. Dustin Pedroia won the MVP in 2008. Okay. A-Rod won a pair of MVPs when he was with the Yankees in 2005 and 2007. And if you looked at his stats that year, it would be hard to argue against him. If you say, oh, I don't like what he represented. He did drugs. All right, fine. Miguel Tejada and Jason Giambi also won. But that's it. One for Pedroia, two for A-Rod, no Mets. Don't bother looking for a Met on there. There are no MVPs on there. You know, the most uh, NL MVPs have been in the West and the Central. The West has been dominating the MVP since the year 2000. And it's, quite frankly, not really that close. Let's go to the Cy Young Award. Now, in the Cy Young Award, as was implied, there is media bias towards Cleveland you know, that, that goes against Cleveland and would fall into the place of the Red Sox and be in their favor. Now, in that same stretch, 2000 to present, the Cleveland Indians have had as many Cy Young Award winners as the Red Sox and Yankees combined. I didn't get that backwards. The Indians in that stretch, have had three Cy Young Award winners, three different ones. CeCe Sabathia, Cliff Lee, Corey Kluber. In that same stretch of time, 2000 to 2016, Pedro Martinez won in 2000, one of the great seasons in the history of baseball, and Rick Porcello, admittedly a mistake. May have been a situation where the vote was split between Verlander and Kluber. Not sure. I'm a Red Sox fan. I don't think Porcello deserved it. The Yankees had one, one single uh, Cy Young Award winner in that stretch, and that was Roger Clemens in 2001. In that stretch, there have been three AL East Cy Young Award winners, the three I mentioned, Martinez, Porcello and Roger Clemens. There's been one Met Cy Young Award winner, which is R.A. Dickey. There have been three AL East Cy Young Award winners and eight Central winners of the Cy Young one and six AL West Cy Young Award winners. In other words, you have the division with the least amount of Cy Young Award winners in the American League 
since the turn of the millennium has been the AL East. Now, if you go to the National League, you've had three Eastern winners for the Cy Young Award, uh, three Central winners, and 11, count them, 11 National League West winners. There was a dominance with the likes of Randy Johnson in Arizona, with Tim Lincecum in San Francisco, but there was also Jake Peavy in San Diego. There was also Brandon Webb in Arizona. There was also, you know, Eric Gagne, which maybe shouldn't have won, but we'll not get into that right now. What I'm saying is this. If you're looking at media bias, yeah, in the way the game is covered, it exists. I'm not going to be dumb enough to to pretend that it doesn't exist. And it would look bad as a Red Sox fan to say, oh, there's no such thing as that. That'd be like a guy who looks like me saying, well, I don't think racism is real. Well, you know, it is, and it just doesn't affect you. You know, the media bias doesn't affect me negatively because I get more coverage of the Red Sox. I will say it doesn't really matter to me, and I sometimes have a hard time understanding why it would matter to others because you can adjust how you have your media delivered to you. But that being said... I've never had the frustration of having my team not covered nationally. And so I don't have to, I can't be an expert on that. And I don't want to tell someone who roots for a team that has been shunned by the media in the past that what their frustration is isn't valid just because it doesn't affect me. But what I will say is this, the data shows it doesn't affect something like the American League Cy Young Award vote. Now, part of that is the method of voting. You have people from all across the country, including you know, writers for the specific teams. It's not like the voters of the Cy Young Award are like 28 people from New York and one dude from Pittsburgh. It's spread across the country. So that's why you could have, in a year where... Jeter had his best season in 2006, I believe. Or at least, let me rephrase that, his best shot to win an MVP was in 2006. And you could make a valid argument that Justin Morneau was not even the most valuable player on the Twins, that he would have been behind Santana, would have been behind Maurer, may have been behind uh, uh, Torrey Hunter. He may not have made, he may not have been in the top three of his own team. But he won the MVP of the league over Derek Jeter. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. Just bear with me. I could be wrong. But I think more people and more media was focused on Derek Jeter than Justin Morneau. When Justin Morneau retired, there wasn't a gigantic celebration turning the All-Star game into a personal kissing his butt session. So what I'm saying, Ken, is this. There is a such thing as media bias. I'm sure it sucks to feel that your team is being slighted. But if Sale wins a Cy Young Award over Kluber, the data shows it ain't because he's been in Boston. 
Pedro Martinez had one of his great seasons in 2002. Derek Lowe also had a spectacular year that year in Boston. And guess what? The award went to Barry Zito. We see the West and the Central is well represented. Small market teams are well represented in the Cy Young Award chase and in the MVP chase. I've demonstrated that. I've shown that. The fact that since 2000, Tampa Bay and the Yankees are tied in the Cy Young column. So, I'll just say this. I think that Corey Kluber, at this point, is the best pitcher in the American League and is having the best season in the American League. And that's why I give him the Cy Young Award. But there's still a week to go. And if all of a sudden Sale has a dominant last few, you know, last few starts, you could, you could make the argument either way. And I believe that it will come down. I don't believe it will be unanimous. A few days ago, I said it should be unanimous. It's Kluber. But that was also because I saw Sale was starting to slip. Well, Sale's not slipping anymore. He's recovering. Gets the 300 strikeouts. And you think, oh, man, this is, is going to be pretty tight. And it will be tight. But I don't think media bias will have anything to do with the final result. So, Ken, that's my thoughts to you. Thoughts? Tweet them right back at me. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast for the 22nd day of September. Hey, let's tighten these races up. I want to see a fun final week. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I've got lots of bias, and you can call me Sully.